Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. You hit the spot. The place where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Put your thinking caps on, because the conversation starts now. Brains, we just had some technical difficulties, but we're about to do it again, all right? Welcome to On the Edge, the place where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. And today we have Monique London. She is an amazing, amazing woman. She is a survivor of domestic violence. She is a motivational speaker. She's a bus driver. I'm going to give her some hell about that. Uh, and she is also a uh, union representative. We're going to talk about all those things and then some. Her story, her journey, and her truth. Let's welcome her to the edge. How are you, Monique? I'm well, thank you, Miss April Mahoney. How are you? I'm at the top of my game, except for that technical difficulty. I was so excited <laughs> to have you on there, but we had a dry run. And let me tell you, I'll get ready for it because we're going to talk about it. So, Monique, tell us a little bit about how you show up in the world. <laughs> well, I show up in the world, yes, just like you've mentioned, I've been a school bus driver for 26 years, and let me tell you, um, it's been a journey, it's not who I am, it's what I do, and so um, I'd like to also mention, you know, to talk to the listeners, uh, first to say that uh, as being a school bus driver, adversities is something that I've always you know, lived with, with the kids or myself. And so I want everyone to know that, you know, when we're in our adversities, yes, it's a struggle. Um, um, but who I am is what I've gone through is who I am today. So um, I just know that in adversities, just to talk to you about that a little bit, there they are challenges. And we know that our adversities are basically struggles. Um, but the actual real definition of adversities is they are difficulties and they are a state of hardship in one with one who deals with in life. Some of us have short ones of adversities and some of us have long ones. Even some of us may feel that it's lifelong adversities. But I'd like to let you know that you're not alone. If you don't mind, I'd like to tell a little story about what we're talk what I'm talking about, if you don't mind. Oh, and it's just a little short story. Give us some knowledge. <laughs> give you some knowledge. So as a school bus driver, like I said, I've been driving for 26 years. But this one particular year, I drove this little boy that's eight years old named Jameson. And this was on Thursdays and Fridays. So I would drive Jameson to his therapy. And with me driving Jameson to his therapies, Jameson's favorite part of the bus was the back of the bus. Why was Jameson's favorite part of the bus, the back of the bus? Because he said he was hiding. And I said, hmm, okay. So as I'm driving Jameson, I would look back there and I would have to say, Jameson, are you all right back there? And he said, yeah. You could just tell he was like really happy, right? And then I said, you know what? Sometime I'm gonna have to sit him to the middle so that I could see him just a little bit more. He wasn't too happy, but I would still say, Jameson, you all right there in the middle? And he would say, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. It's okay. But I can tell he's still like the back of the bus. And then I said, Jameson, one day, why you don't like the front of the bus? And he looked at me like I was stupid. He said, um, because you can see me, duh. And I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. 
And then I said, well, wouldn't it be even better if you moved to the driver's seat of the bus? And he looked at me like I was even more weird. He was like, um, no. And I said, why? He said, because then everybody can see me. And I said, oh, okay. I dropped Jameson off. I drive around the corner and it was like something had dropped this knowledge, that, just knowledge in my head, right? So next thing I know, I realized that in our adversities, we're like Jameson. We like to sit to the back of the bus and hide. We have our fears of what we're going through and we don't want to face it. So in that adversity, when we hide, we don't really want to move. But when we want to overcome this adversity, there are stages. So there's four parts of the bus, the back, the middle, the front, and the driver's seat. So when I asked Jameson to move to the middle, I'm asking him so that he could take the first step to try to get out of fear. It's just like that with our adversities. We have to take a step to get out of that fear to try and figure out how to overcome it. When we move to the front of the bus, we have now positioned ourselves that we have a better control of the adversity. So the biggest star is the driver's seat because in that seat, you have control. You have control over your adversities. And when you have control, you have no more fear. And it will teach you how to position yourself. So I challenge you and I ask you, where are you at in your adversity right now? Are you in the back of the bus? Are you in the middle, the front, or are you in the driver's seat? I, I question and I ask you this question because for 20 years, I have been in the driver's seat. Why am I telling you this? Because 20 years ago, I lived in domestic violence and I was in the back of that bus when it first started. I was in fear. I was hiding. And this is the sign when a woman or anyone that is in domestic violence, your hands are up, folded, and down. Remember this. You have anyone that you see, they're trying to tell you they want help. So, but in that time, that was not a sign that was given. You know, there are new things today. But it took six years in that relationship, in that marriage, for me to come from the back of the bus to the middle. When I got to the middle of the bus, that meant that I had a plan and I was putting that plan together and I was pulling myself out of that. And then you ask the question, well, Monique, well, how did you get from the back to even the middle? It was a one incident that happened where I was dragged down the stairs and my child was tossed. I had a two-year-old son. And at that time, I, out of that um, episode, I crawled back up the stairs, got in my bed, and I was in a fetus position. And all I could fear was that I wasn't going to make it. Hmm. And I heard a voice deep down inside saying, do you want control? And I'm like, what? No, do you want control? In order to have control, I need you to have boundaries and I need you to love yourself more. That's a mindset. If your mindset is not positioned properly, you cannot even get out of your adversity. You have to tell yourself and believe that somehow in order to get out of the adversity that you are in, to move from the back of the bus to the middle, what is your value? What is your worth? If you don't know your value and your worth, it's very hard for you to move from the back of the bus. But in my incident, I moved from the back to the middle because I had a plan. And as I kept emerging in my plans, I was able to move to the front of the bus. 
because I believe that me and my son could survive without the abuser. But what did that look like to do? That meant to get out of that home. Right. And a lot of times what people don't realize is the end. What happens a lot of times is that it creates epigenetics, intergenerational trauma. The baby was young, but he's still, even in the womb, they can feel the adversity, the hostility, the fear, the anxiety that the mother is experiencing. And this will grow with them. This grows within their DNA. Uh, the abuser, like you said, people, you were telling me that people thought that, you know, they was the coup de gras, that this was a nice person, that they wouldn't do that. And people shunned you. People didn't believe you. You know, the ones that did not see the bruises and you have to hide those scars, continue to go to work, drive the bus with them badass kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what? and that takes courage, too, because you're seeing the children that are living with adversity. They're, you know, I don't know how old your kids are, but six, seven, 15, 20 years old, you see them getting yeah. on the bus, they dirty, they're hungry, they're, you know, they're using drugs. They don't know how to express themselves. They get on the bus, they get off the bus with you, but they don't go into school. They hit the corner and they go do something else. But you have been a motivational and an inspiration to them. I'm sure that there's been many conversations on that bus. They trust you. You know, they know that that's a safe ride, that that's a safe place. I'm yes. originally from Long, uh, from Los Angeles, so I know what it was. We used to call it the RTD, Richard Ted and yes. Dave. It was a rapid transit district bus. I don't they call it the Metro or something now. I don't know. But that yes. was a kind of a ride. But for you to be a school driver and still stay there 20 years, you're also a union steward. And I want yes. to talk a little bit about union busting. You know, they've been trying to do this for a long time. I was a part of the SEIU. I was a grocery checker for years. Uh, One of my favorite <laughs> jobs ever. I loved it. But look at the writer's strike. Those people have been on strike now for over 100 days. The nurses have went on strike. The buses, the, uh, the city workers in L.A., everybody in L.A. is on strike. Yes. And I knew we were going to cause that. Uh, being on the executive board as treasurer on the second largest union of the United States, we set history. And that is a phenomenal feeling to know that we set history that caused the vice president and the new mayor, Karen Bass, to step in and advocate for us because of what our leadership was doing. And we knew the phone calls were going to come in. <laughs> so it has, the phones have not stopped on that aspect. And yes, we're able to make pretty much a lot of people strike. Um, and so it has been very fulfilling and rewarding to know, to advocate for what is right and, and fight for unfair justice um, to make it justified. You know, so. You know, again, you got a living, they got $15 an hour. And they barking at home. Okay, that's not a living wage. My niece no. lives in one bedroom, seventeen hundred. We're not talking about her car note, her car insurance, the lights, the gas, the water, the dog food, yeah. her food. And then you want to have some sort of quality of life. You want yeah. to have the cable, all these things. Yeah. So again, you're looking at twenty six hundred dollars a month. That's your basic things. People are not making that. They're not making no. that brains. 
and you've got, you know, fat cats up at the top, mm-hmm. millions of dollars that they're making on the movies and they don't want to pay a living wage. Okay, but they what you're saying money is energy. Money yes. is energy. And if it's you funny. live your life like this, you can't you can't hold it, you can't right. give it, you can't receive it. And it will That's come to haunt you. I mean, I remember I'm a shareholder in Starbucks. I love me some Starbucks. I don't care what y'all say. Uh, I do. I knew because they were, you know, they were like uh, in and out burger. They paid a living wage. They gave uh, medical benefits. They gave educational reimbursement. But again, I'm not there the day to day. So I didn't know what was the interworkings of these organizations. I knew how much money they was making because I was getting a profit. But these individuals mobilized. And so now they are unionizing. And I'm very happy. I have no problem with that. There should be an overseer. There should be an That's overseer. That's true. It should. It is, it's funny that you mentioned the $15, because $15, we were also the union that started that. So yeah. when people were making below that, we, right. we advocated in the state of California for that 15 And now that 15 is like bubble gum in a way, you know, because it's, of inflation. It's nothing but yeah. gas and all that. And then you've got all these people living in squalor. I can't say, you yes. know, I'm originally from Los Angeles. I was there a few weeks ago and the mayor, I have to give her credit. I know that people are not happy being off the streets, but I went downtown to my favorite garment district and I could walk the streets. I could actually breathe. They they yeah. power washed. I know that they are working to put people into, uh, into homes, but the, you yeah. know, this was becoming... A third world country. We were going backwards in time. It was regressive and not progressive. But talking about progressive, you have decided to write your story and put it in the pages of the book. Tell us a little bit about what we have to look forward to in the release of your book. Awesome. Yes. um, Remember the part that I was saying, I was laying in the bed in a fetus position and I heard, you know, conversation, you know, do you want control? I also heard, if not now, then when? And I said, what? If not now, then when? And it really is a, a serious question because anyone can actually, when they ask, when they read this question and you're in the domestic violence or you're in any adversity, the question is real. If not now, then when? And you know what when is. When are you going to get up from the back of that bus? and get yourself to the middle, the front, and the driver's seat. When are you going to help yourself stop being the victim of that adversity and go into a victor? So I named the book, If Not Now, Then When, From Victim to Victor. And that to me is a strong message because I tell my story with inside the book. It's funny because being a domestic violence book, you would think it talked about a lot of my incidents, but it doesn't. It actually is more of talking a little bit about what happened to me. And I'm motivating motivational speaker inside the book because I talked to an individual who's reading it about their value and their worth and the things that I did, the steps, the orders of everything that I did to be able to sit in that driver's seat because I was not going to allow my son to be a victim himself in his childhood to see the abuse. And so when in inside this book, it it gives 
all kinds of resources. It gives my, my story. It, it allows you to know who I am, where I come from. I'm from Ohio, by the way, Cincinnati. Hey. I know. Hey, so, I got folks in Ohio. Um, Shout out to Ohio. Also, <laughs> right. And I also learned my great-grandmother, she was a victim of domestic violence. And I was like, well, my dad told me, I said, what? I said, well, that's amazing because me as her great-great-grandchild now has a book to talk about. And I put her little story, so I dedicated the book to her. Um, but, you know, for the, for the title of this book uh, and when you read it, my hope is that it will give you the resources to become a victor and remove yourself from victim. I don't know how many people it will reach and how many people will actually follow the, the instructions in it and the uplifting. But all I know is that my prayer is that the book will help as many that it will allow. Well, it is going to be a bestseller, all right? Because we already going to claim that. Yes. And we yes. don't, you know, as readers, we don't want to hear the same, he did this, they did that, you know, I exactly. did this. You want to be able to have a strategy. You want to be able to yes. know that there's a plan. Yes, this happened, but without mm -hmm. God, you know, yes. it would have happened. So yeah. you've taken your skills, you've taken yes. your leadership as, you know, in the union, you, your yes. activism, your support of women of domestic violence, and yes. went back to school and become a certified business and life coach. Why did yes. you choose that? Because there's a lot of coaches out there, and I say this with love to y'all, but you still team <laughs> players. You still sitting on the bench. You're a disgruntled employee. You've been, you know, laid off, uh, or you've quit for whatever reason, and now you think you're the subject matter expert. But you have to <laughs> understand that you are hanging somebody out to dry. You yes. are holding their life in the palms of your hand. And if yes. I work with a coach, even a mentor, I better see what I need from you exuding out of your pores. I want to know that you are in it to win it. I don't yes. want you to try to reinvent me. You can't reinvent the wheel. Only thing no. you can do is make it roll faster, smoother, yes. or put on some tougher uh, tread. That's all. Yes. And that's what you want to do with your yes. client. You want to be their cheerleader, yes. their inspiration, yes. their sounding board, their navigator. That's what you're yes. here for, okay? Absolutely. And if you can't do Absolutely. that and show up 110%, mm -hmm. and that's what you look for, Brains, when you look for a coach, you ask yes. those questions. You look for testimonials. You see mm -hmm. where they are. If they can't make an investment in themselves, they can't make an investment in you. And it takes mm -hmm. money to make money. Hello. You can just jump out and be an entrepreneur with no marketing, with no logo, with no publicity, none of that. You can't do any of that. So no. what we need for you to do is we really need for you to try to work as diligently and as hard as you can to be the best person that you can. So tell us yeah. a little bit about what you're pouring into your clients, your new teaching clients as a coach. What? What I'm pouring into first, what made me, what inspired me to become a business life coach is because I actually hired my own and that was something I always wanted. And in that teachings, and I love Dr. Karen. Uh, Dr. Karen is 
a woman after women's hearts when it comes to life coaching. Um, and she inspired me so much until I said, you know what, I put myself through school. I, I have a bachelor's and a master's in business. So me being an entrepreneur, I was like, you know what, my personal experience is, is what my purpose is when I pour into the clients. I would never tell my clients to do anything that I have not gone through as a business person, as a person, you know, that has the understanding of entrepreneurship, um, the different phases that you go through, the adversities, and what I've experienced in my own personal life coaching. So for me, it is definitely pouring into my clients step-by-step, step, holding their hands. No, I will not change their life, but I will hold them accountable because if you don't be accountable, how can you be successful? Exactly. And I say that again, if you're not accountable, how can you be, successful? Can you be successful? Exactly. Right? And so a part of that is building the business, knowing who you are, being authentic, I don't know about that transparency because you don't need to see everything. Some things need to be no. close to the best. Yes. Okay. Having I a agree. business plan, following through, taking responsibility, you know, accountability, but also keeping it 100. So thank yes. you so much for keeping it 100 with us, Monique. You are <laughs> the absolute queen of everything. And uh, again, don't give her no problems on them buses, brains, or I'm going to come and get you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for all that you do uh, I'm sending you love and light we will put thank all you. of your contact information at the back of the interview so that people are able to contact you when the book is released I'm going to have you come back and read an excerpt and be a part okay. of this thing that we call On the Edge thank you so much I appreciate you sister thank you Ms. April All right. bye brains bye, bye.